Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. I am your host, Daniel Guntlach, and I am thrilled to share with you my views derived from a lifetime of listening on the opera and classical singers about whom I am most passionate. I hope that when you hear these voices, you might echo me in saying, God, I love her, or God, I love him. Now, without any further ado, I bring you today's episode. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be back with you for another episode of Counter Melody. There has been yet another change of plans. I think I'm going to stop offering specific promises for what I'm going to bring to you on a given episode because it just never seems to work out the way that I had planned. But that's not a bad thing. There was just a scheduling conflict this week. Let's put it that way. And that's why I'm going to delay one further week in presenting you the first Janet Williams episode. But let me tell you what I do have in store for you today. I had so many nice comments already about the Shirley Verrett episode that I presented last week, and I have by no means exhausted my effusions. Let's call them my effusions about the great Shirley Verrett. So, given that I wanted to have sort of a mini theme of saluting African-American singers, I think that what I'm going to do today is just bring you a little bit more Shirley because I have so much to say, and, and I want to actually focus on three things today. Let's see if I can manage to stick to that. Uh, I would like to talk about her bel canto roles because that's something we didn't really touch on enough last week. So I shall start with some bel canto examples from Shirley Verrett in roles for which she was particularly celebrated, including Rossini's L'Assedio di Corinto, Maria Stuarda, Moise Faraon, and La Favorita. Then I'm going to speak about what were, in my opinion, her two greatest roles. And finally, I will present a few excerpts of Shirley Verrett in recital. And that will be the episode today, so I do hope that you will enjoy it. I'm certainly excited about presenting it to you. Before I jump in with Shirley today, I had the most wonderful communication from my dear friend Christina Berger, who is a sublime choral musician, conductor, singer, clinician, composer, arranger, and currently the inaugural John N. Schwartz Professor of Choral Leadership and Conducting at Augsburg University in Minneapolis. She is one of the finest conductors with whom I have ever worked. Christina is also deeply committed to the community building aspects of choral music making. Her dissertation, in fact, is about, among other things, the interface between the feminist choral movement and black women's ensembles, how those things interrelate and community is created and fostered through such ensembles.
Christina is an avid listener to the podcast. This is probably because she's one of my dearest friends, and I really appreciate her interest and support. And she came at me yesterday with a most interesting observation about uh, Shirley Verrett, Grace Bumbry, Jesse Norman, all of these uh, women of color, and the voice type of the Falcon that I asked if I could share with my listening public, and she agreed to let me share it with you. She says, I wonder whether it is more than mere coincidence that three of the few black women opera stars were also that other more rare thing, a Zwischenfach. The singing voice is mutually constructed by cultural factors such as class and race, in addition to gender. For instance, BG-style falsettists in pop music took their cue from earlier African-American acts in which the ability to sing in that register made a man sexily skilled, not girly. And African-American women have typically been encouraged to explore the full capabilities of the female larynx, developing strength and interest in the lower registers that have been aesthetically off-limits in the genteel cult of white femininity. I find this a valid and fascinating perspective. Of course, one must also position singers like Marian Anderson and the lesser-known contralto Carol Bryce within that continuum, as well as marvelous African-American mezzo-sopranos like Florence Cuiva, for instance, or Marietta Simpson, just to name two of my favorites off the top of my head. And by the way, we are listening to Sweet Honey in the Rock performing the song Long Journey Home. If you listen closely, you can hear a woman singing a sustained drone in a bass register over the course of this entire song, which is further evidence of the full range of vocal and timbral possibilities taken by singers of color in all music genres. I particularly welcome Christina's perspective on this because she's coming at it from a very different direction than I am. She has done an enormous amount of digging deeply into the questions of race, voice, music making, all of these matters. And I think it's interesting to consider the perspective that she brings to bear as we begin our episode today with our further examination of the career, influence, and voice of Shirley Verrett. Okay, I've got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of music to share with you today, so I'm just going to jump right in with selection after selection for your listening pleasure. There'll be very, very little narration from Guntlach today. So 
L'Assedio di Corinto was the opera that Shirley Ferret sang alongside Beverly Sills in her belated 1974 Metropolitan Opera debut. This work is a very strange hybrid. It's a mishmash of two different Rossini operas, Maometto Secondo and Le Siege de Corinthe, which was somehow kind of juggled together, thrown up in the air, and what fell down in pieces was L'Assedio di Corinto. But I ask you, who the hell cares what a mishmash it is when it is sung with this kind of brilliance? how Rossini coloratura is meant to be sung. Not off the voice, listen to the guts she puts into this performance. It just makes me giddy how wonderful this is. I think that earlier I said that that performance took place in 1974. Actually, it's 1975, not that it makes that much difference. Although, 1975 was generally acknowledged to be the absolute peak of Shirley Ferret's career. It's interesting to look at the reviews from this at the time. Harold Schoenberg in the New York Times would say about Shirley Ferret in this part, she's not normally associated with bel canto singing. I have to say, I'm not sure under just what rock Harold Schoenberg had been hiding himself. Bel Canto was always at the very center of Verrett's repertoire. I'm about to offer you a selection from a 1969 visit from the Maggio Musicale Fiorentino to the Edinburgh Festival. The opera presented there was Donizetti's Maria Stuarda, in which the legendary Turkish soprano Leila Genser sang the title role, and Shirley Verrett sang the antagonist of Maria, that is, of course, Elisabetta.
By the way, that was Leila Ganser's high D that you just heard. Shirley Verrett first sang the role of Leonora in Donizetti's La Favorita in Dallas in 1971. It was also the role of her operatic Farewell in Madrid in 1992 opposite Alfredo Kraus. In between, she sang a memorable concert performance with the Opera Orchestra of New York in 1975 with Eve Queller at Carnegie Hall, again with Alfredo Kraus as her Fernando. The Met also gave her a new production of the piece opposite Pavarotti in 1978. 
Both Pavarotti and Verrett also appeared in a 1975 concert with the Philadelphia Orchestra. It was a non-subscription event in honor of the 118th anniversary of the Philadelphia Academy of Music. Both of them sang a series of arias. Unusually for her, Shirley Verrett sang Una Voce Poco Fa on that occasion. The two of them came together to offer the final duet from La Favorita. In addition, Shirley Verrett sang the O Mio Fernando scene, which I present to you here. I consider it possibly her greatest performance ever of this aria.
Yeah. <laughs>
Daniel has made yet another executive decision here. I think there's going to have to be at least one more and probably two more Shirley Ferret episodes. I hope you guys love her as much as I do because you're just going to keep getting more and more and more of her. So you're welcome, I hope. Let's just consider what we just heard. What amazing high notes! In 1975, Shirley Verrett was on the cusp of becoming a soprano. She had already taken on a number of distinctly soprano roles, including Celica in Meyerbeer's L'Africaine in San Francisco in 1972, and her career-defining performance as Lady Macbeth at La Scala was just around the corner. At this point, I think it would be very instructional to listen to two very short clips of Shirley Verrett in 1968 and in 1983 performing the same role. In April 1968 in Rome, Shirley Verrett appeared with a star-studded cast in a performance of Gioacchino Rossini's Mosè in Egitto. The cast also featured Nicola Giaurov, Teresa Giliscara, Gloria Lane, Mario Petri, and Ottavio Garaventa. We are going to hear her in the aria Ad una flitta il duolo. This, then, was a role that she repeated 15 years later in 1983 in Paris in the French version of the opera called Moïse et Pharaon, conducted by Georges Prêtre and with a cast that included Samuel Remy and Cecilia Gazdia. In French, by the way, the aria is titled A d'une tendre mère écoute la prière. What I specifically want you to listen for is how Shirley Verrett has so skillfully remade her voice into that of a soprano. You hear a very different approach to the high notes, for instance, in 1968, with less ease and less float 
than she achieves in 1983. Please pardon the very poor sound of this recording, unfortunately. It was televised, but it doesn't seem to have ever been reissued in any sonically acceptable form. Another thing that I find very deeply moving here, comparing these two versions, is how much one notes the expansion, the growth of Shirley Verrett's artistry between 1968 and 1983. On the 20th anniversary of the death of Maria Callas, the New York Times featured an article entitled A Voice and Legend That Still Fascinate. Callas is what opera should be. In the article, Shirley Verrett is quoted. I saw her as Norma in 1956 and was floored, Ms. Verrett said recently. It was not just her acting, but the way she acted with the voice. Every note was meaningful. The shape of the musical phrase and the dramatic gesture were linked. From then on, I thought, this is what opera should be. One could almost make that claim about Shirley Verrett herself. It was not coincidental that, 20 years after having seen Kalas as Norma, Shirley Verrett took on the role herself. Towards the end of the 1975-76 season at the Met, Shirley Verrett sang the role of Aragiza in the house opposite Montserrat Caballé. Oh, 
Polione here, by the way, is the superb and underrated American tenor, John Alexander. The next time John Alexander and Shirley Verrett sang in Norma together, she was no longer his Adalgisa, but had graduated to the title role, as we are about to discover. When the Met went on tour that following spring, Shirley Verrett then took on the title role of Norma. The Boston performance has since gone down in history as having been one of the very greatest evenings of Shirley Verrett's career. There is a very, very distant recording that one can nevertheless hear and marvel in in this scene between Polione and Norma, Norma reveals herself to be the druid high priestess, much to his shock and horror, and vows revenge on him for having deserted her for the younger priestess Adalgisa.
At the beginning of this episode, I did promise to bring you several things that I didn't quite get to. I promised that I would discuss Shirley Verrett's two greatest roles. We got to one of them, but we barely scratched the surface with that one, and there is another one that I only mentioned in passing. So the next time we revisit the Shirley Verrett saga, we will discuss those roles, and I also want to take you on a tantalizing trip through the byways and might-have-beens in Shirley Verrett's performing career. And don't forget, next week will be part one of the Janet Williams interview. Once again, special thanks to Christina Berger for letting me quote from her communication with me this past week. Thanks to Alan Segal for his beautiful underscoring. And thanks also to Steve Robinson for his continuing assistance in getting this podcast out there to you. Many thanks to all of you, and of course, to you, my listeners. time, my friends. Keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.